morning. Uh, is whoever's visiting here, we're expository preaching church. We go verse by verse, book by book, no apologies. We take our time and we work our way through the Bible uh, systematically. And uh, that way we mine as much gold as we can out of the Word of God. So if you're just joining us, that's what we do here. So last week, I've got it right in your bulletin if you open it up. I've kind of just given you some of the summary from last week in there. We went through 6, 1 through 14. I am going to spend a few minutes talking about it, uh, reviewing it, because 15 through 23 builds on that truth. You'll see that really 1 through 14 was more the theological perspective of this issue, dead to sin and alive to Christ. And then 15 through 23 is more application and how we live it out. Okay, everybody with me? Everybody here? Good? All right. It's not too cold in here for you? Everybody's all right? All right, brother. Thank you. Amen. So uh, let, let's look at this. Uh, we're gonna go, I'm just going to go through some of these points on the list in your bulletin. You can review the other ones. I don't on your own. But we start off with this, this big truth, which is Romans 6.1. And really it was uh, the Holy Spirit working through Paul to answer a question that he finished chapter 5 with. It says, but when, when sin increases, grace increases all the more. So the question that came that was presented to us in 6.1, should, should we sin all the more that grace may increase? Remember, that was a question. That, that he knew was on their hearts and minds. And he said what? By no means. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about grace and sin. And do you remember this? We talked about kind of two camps that would have been receiving this letter. The Gentiles and the Jews would have been receiving this letter from Paul and the Romans. Mostly Gentiles probably in the Roman church. And the reality is that the Gentiles would have been tempted to say, great, we can sin all the more so grace may increase. We can continue with our idol worship and our, and our uh, sinful feasts that we had and all that. So they might have been encouraged by the thought of, well, I can have Jesus and the world too, right? Now the Jews, on the other hand, were legalists. And so they said, wait a minute, what are you talking about here, Paul? Uh, that if sin increases, grace increases all the more. Are you saying that the Word of God or our laws, a lot of them man-made, are useless, have no meaning? So you see this going on, this dilemma within the church at the time. Those that were raised in the Jewish faith versus the Gentiles that came out of pagan worship. Now, I'm going to be careful to preach the whole sermon again, but the reality is, we live in a, is it any different today? No, not really. Do we have liberalism alive and well in the church where they say, I, I told you I was at a church that was balancing grace and truth and went to liberalism where they just said, you know, we don't really talk about sin. Right? We turn, we turn away from sin. You know, if it, it's okay for you, if you're happy in doing these things, it's okay. Don't be judging the other so-called Christians in the church. Do we see that in our culture today? Yeah, that's alive and well, brothers and sisters. That's alive and well. In fact, that's a prominent teaching within the, the so-called church. The other side's alive and well too, which is legalism. Which is this, this issue of Weren't, as Jim was talking about his Catholicism background on Wednesday night, which I appreciate. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in Catholicism, but this issue of good works and working your way to heaven. Now, I didn't experience that. I experienced a church that was, a, again, a Bible-based church that was balanced in grace and truth, but it, it, started to, it went into legalism. And it wasn't through works-based salvation. What they were doing is they were putting the church back under the law. Do we live under the law? No, we live under grace. And they were putting the church back under the law and they became very judgmental and, and uh, seeking out sin in the church and, and it killed the church. 
Now here's what I just want to tell you this. I didn't tell you this last week, but how it killed the church was what happened was people became hypocrites because what, when they came to a church and they knew that the leadership of the church was trying to find the sinners in the church so they could talk to them about it, right, and confront them with their sin, and so guess what happened? The church came and guess what? It was no longer a safe place to talk about sin, right? So they came in and pretended. They posed. They were hypocrites. They pretended their life was all together because they were no longer comfortable in talking about their own sinfulness. Do you see that? that that's the type of legalism that happened in this church. Let me tell you, it happened very slowly. It didn't happen all of a sudden. Everybody was legalist. It slowly crept into the church where it got more and more legalistic, where everybody became uncomfortable. See, you have to be a church of balance and grace and truth. Do we believe in sin in this church? Amen, we believe in sin in this church. But the reality is, it's got to be a place where love is dominant, where people can come and say, listen, listen, I'm struggling with this, the sin in my life. It's got to be a safe place to talk about the sins in our life. And then the church and the leadership of this church will help them through biblical truth to help them get out of that sinful pattern in their life. Do you see the difference? And you know the heart, anybody that's been coming to a while, that is the... That is a passion of my heart. I will fight tooth and nail that this church doesn't go one way or the other. So that's what they're talking about here. Here's really good news. If you've got your bulletins still open, is Romans 6 2. I mean, look at this. This truth is, uh, is amazing to me. It says, We died to sin, so how can we continue to live in it? See, the, the, the thing we talked about here last week is that when we were born again, I pray you were all born again believers here today. If not, let's get that done today, huh? But if you're not born again believer, if you are born again believer, you know that the moment you were saved, you died to sin. Do you believe that? You died to sin. Now, does that mean we don't sin anymore? No. But the reality is we died to sin. That's what the scripture says. And what it means is our relationship with sin changed forever. See, all the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future, were paid for by Jesus Christ. And when you believe that is declared righteous, that righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed into us, and we are no longer face penalty of sin. That's good enough, right? But it's more than that, because our relationship for sin also changed that sin no longer has power over us. Isn't that amazing? Sin no longer has power over you. So the, the Satan the world system and your fallen flesh are going to continue to cry out to you saying, no, you still have to answer. You still have to answer to the call of sin. But the reality is we don't. We don't have to answer that call anymore by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So that is really good news. Do people live like that's true? No, I don't see it a lot. You know, when people quote 1 Corinthians 10.13, you all know that verse. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, He'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Do you know that verse? That verse is talking about the reality that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. You no longer have to answer the call of your old master. You have a new master now. How about if an old employer came up to you and told you to do something? You don't work there anymore. Your old master has no more call, no more power to, uh, to call you, I'm saying, no more power to. Okay, look at 6, 4, and 5. See, I want you to see how this all took place. When Jesus was on the cross, the sins of the world 
came upon Jesus on the cross. Remember when God the Father had to turn his back on Jesus? My, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that? Because the sins of the world were being poured upon Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. He took those sins and took them into the tomb with him. And in that tomb, he condemned the sins of the world through his death. Do you see that? I mean, you know when you'll be totally free from temptation? At death. Because you'll no longer have an unredeemed flesh, you'll have a glorified body if you're a believer, and you'll no longer be tempted. Jesus, and that's just a visualization of the reality that he took the sins of the world and was buried, and those sins were condemned forever for all those who believe. That's verses 4 and 5. Let me just say 6 and 7. I'm sorry the world offers a lot of solutions to your sin. AA meetings, psychology, drug altering, mood altering drugs, all kinds of things. And here's here's a picture I want to give you on this. I'm taking a lot of time. Anybody in a hurry today? All right. So here's the here's the here's what I see is that so you so they go to these things and what they get is behavioral modification, right? And, and they're white knuckling it because see the here's the reality: the beast still lives within you. You're just trying to tame it. Does that make sense? You're trying to tame that beast to control that sin, but the temptation is strong and you're never really free. But see, the only way to deal with sin is to kill it. You have to die to sin and be born into Christ. Otherwise, you'll be fighting those battles through AA meetings and I'm an alcoholic and on and on and on. Those are things to try to help you tame the beast, but you're not killing it until you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And that's what it's talking about in those verses. Oh, Liam. Amen. That was an amen from Liam. I appreciate that. Uh, 6 and 8 just talks about, I want to tell you this, is that our victory is secure. If you're born again believer, you cannot lose your salvation. If you've killed sin, it's dead forever in you. It doesn't mean we don't face battles, but I want to let you know that you will never lose your salvation. That's what that talks about in verses uh, 8 through 10. Now, and we closed off with this last week, 11 through 14, three kind of applications point, count courage and confidence. You see those in the bulletin? These are important truths, brothers and sisters, that this is how you live the victorious life in Jesus Christ. His first one is to count. What that means is that you, God has said for all those who believe they're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, and what it means to count is you need to embrace this truth. You know, I love what Nolan said to me last week after the sermon. Was he said it's just like preaching the gospel to ourselves that Jim taught us on Wednesday was through that uh, gospel primer. Is part of preaching the gospel to yourself is preaching to yourself that you're dead to sin. See, I got to remind myself daily before that's kind of putting on my spiritual armor. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. I got to remind myself of that reality. So when temptation comes from Satan, the world, and my flesh, I could say I'm not answering that call. I'm dead to sin. You have no power over me anymore. Do you get that? That's what it means to count. See, the, the, re, the reality is the world is bombarding us with lies. And so if we don't go in and really consider the theology that is true about dead to sin and alive to Christ, you will be deceived. So you've got to build yourself up in truth before you go out into this fallen world. And a big truth is you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. The second one here is courage. You see that? Courage. You know, it's not easy to live the Christian life. 
It's not easy to live the Christian life. And this courage here that he's talking about is to become living sacrifices to Jesus Christ, submitting all of yourself to Him. Every part of your body. It said that in the verse it said that, that the, um, do not offer any part of yourself to sin, offer every part of yourself to God. Your thoughts, your words, your emotions, right? So here, here it is. I mean, hear this for a minute here. Um, the music you listen to. You know, are you listening to God-honoring music? Are you listening to something that has questionable lyrics in it? This might sound like legalism to you, but I'm telling you, that is what this verse is talking about. That's submitting your ears to the world. That's part of your body. You're submitting the ears to the world by listening to inappropriate music. And, you, and I hear some people say, well, this movie's okay. I'm watching this movie. Yeah, it's got a little bit of this and a little bit of that in it. But, you know, I'm bigger than that. I can watch this movie. I'm a big, I'm a big strong Christian guy or gal. I can watch these movies. I'm telling you, you're submitting your eyes to the, to, the, to the way of the world. You're opening yourself up to possible temptation and sin. I'm just telling you what the verse says. Don't look at me like I'm some legalist. I'm just saying this is what the verse says, that we can't submit parts of our body to things of the world. And don't think you're stronger than everybody else. Did Dave, do you think David was a pretty strong follower of Jesus Christ? Well, he was up on a roof he wasn't supposed to be at. He was supposed to be at the battlefield. He saw Bathsheba, that's watching an R-rated movie with sex in it for us, and that movie caused him to fall. And I don't know about you, I'm not the man of God that David was. So I've got to be even more careful. I don't want to see any of that stuff. That's what it's talking about, about being a living sacrifice. You guys getting this? And the third one is to, is to uh, confidence. Now this is just as important, is that we live under grace. We live under grace. Here's what the devil will do. He'll tempt you, and if you're not prepared, you'll fall into sin, and then he'll condemn you. He'll tell you how bad you are, how you're not really a believer, you should question your own salvation. He's going to come at you with all those lies. And what this last part of this verse is talking about is that we're under grace. So here it is, we're going to sin sometimes. We don't want to, we've got to work hard at not sinning, but when we sin that we're under grace, God forgives us, restores us, and puts us right back into the game. So don't, don't let when you fall, let the devil get a hold of you and distract you for I've seen people distracted for years based on a past sin. And they're like this, walking around, you know, I'm not worthy. No, you're not. So stop it. Confess your sin, repent, and get back in the game. That's what we've got to do. That's what the grace is of God. It doesn't, it doesn't allow us to continue to sin, but it forgives us and restores us after we do. Okay? So that's where we left off. Everybody take a deep breath. Because now we're going to go into 15 through 23. And let me tell you, it gets even better. It gets even better. Uh, our brother Kevin's going to open the word for us. If you'd please stand as we read God's word. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you lead the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And blessing the reading word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that, brother. Does this sound familiar to 1 through 14 to everybody? I mean, kind of the... All right, let's, let's, let's start with 15. It says, uh, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Very, very similar type of uh, question. And once again, what's the answer? By no means. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. See, see the, the first questions we looked at last week that headed up the whole teaching was, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so the question was, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Now the question from last uh, verse 14 was, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace, which generated this question, what then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Do you see that? So the question, let me just simplify this in a little equation here. So sin increased, grace increased, does that equal it's okay to sin all the more? And the new equation, we're not under law, we're under grace. Does that mean it's okay to sin all the more? Do you see that? Those two different equations there? Both saying, is it okay to sin? And the answer is absolutely not. Let me just say this. Uh, living under the law does not bring salvation. It does not bring freedom from sin. In fact, living under the law brings more sin, discouragement, and despair. Look at... First, I just got a verse up here to verify that. Just I could give you many, but 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is in the law. So what we're saying here is, is that living under grace does not give us the freedom to sin, but living under grace gives us the power to live a righteous life. Do you hear that? Living under grace gives us the power to live a righteous life. That's what I'm going to try to prove to you today through the text. Do you, want to, do you want to live a righteous life? Do you find it difficult? Amen. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. So let's, let's look at, look, follow with me here, please. Look at 16, uh, verse 16. It says, Do you know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one of whom you obey, either to sin, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he's, he's trying to clarify this issue of, of uh, living under grace 
And the first thing he says is, do you know? By the way, that, that term, do you know, would be, this is common knowledge. You should all understand this. This is common sense, is what might be a way of saying this. And he's saying, this is common sense that who you are serving as your master, whoever you're obedient to, is the one, is the one that is your master. Does that make sense? That's common sense. Now, there's two masters we could possibly be serving. Amen? Two masters. That's what he's saying here in this text. He's saying there's either one master, which would be sin, which would be under the control of Satan, would be the master, and we're, and we're under the obedience through sin, which leads to what? What's the verse say? Death. Or the other master of obedience, which leads to righteousness, which is serving the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're either serving the Savior or Satan. There is no middle ground. Do you, do you understand that? There is no middle ground in this world. You're either on one side or the other side of the battlefield. It's important you understand that. See, so look at this verse up here, if you would, please. Uh, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and desire, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He uses this, uh, this description of God and money as an illustration, but there's many different false gods of the world we could be following as compared to God. The ladies have been studying idols, and they know the list is long and plentiful. Uh, there's some less destructive idols we can serve. We can serve work. We can, we can, uh, we can serve money, as it says. We can serve materialism. We can serve all kinds of false idols. Anger, unforgiveness pride. There's all kinds of false idols. And uh, the question is, that you have to ask yourself as we go through this study, is who are you serving? Who are you serving? Who is your master? And if you want to know who your master is, look over your life. Where are you taking your talents, your treasures, and your time? Where are you investing your life right now? And that determines where your master lives. If, you, if you're getting up and doing a brief devotion and then spending 90% of your time in some other pursuit, that probably means that the, your master is not Jesus Christ. So be careful. Don't think that destructive sin patterns are the only indications that you're serving Satan. There's many false idols out there that will distract you and deceive you away from the Savior. Let's look at Satan for a minute. I'll just show you a few verses here. The one master, the evil master, let's say. Uh, John 14.30 says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. This is Jesus speaking in this verse. And what does he refer to Satan as? Prince of the world. Prince of this world, yes. How about this verse, 1 John 5.19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Do you believe that? The whole world is under the control of the evil one. How about this one? This is Jesus again in John 8.44. He says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. One more. 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26. Opponents. I like that. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading 
them to the knowledge of the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. Do you see that? Who has taken them captive to do his will. The word opponents we would call what today? People that are lost. He's calling them opponents. Those that are lost. Those that are trapped into uh, in the kingdom of, of darkness. Those that are serving Satan are those he's referring to as lost. So, let me ask you this. I mean, do, do you hear a lot of this? I mean, do you hear that Satan's alive and well? Is that something you prominently hear in our culture today? Do you hear that he's a prince of the world? Do you hear that he's, he's overseeing the world? He's in charge of the world? Is that, is that the sense we get in our culture today? Not in our culture, no. Do you believe it? Yes. Do, do you see the power of the evil one? Do you understand this issue of slavery to sin? Let me ask you this question. This is kind of, let me prove to you the slavery of sin. Have you ever been trapped in some sinful or maybe destructive behavior pattern that you knew the outcome, you already knew the consequences for the activity, but you did it anyway? Right? I mean, I mean so... Let, let's just take drinking, for example. Maybe you woke up one day with a terrible hangover, just a head-throbbing, banging hangover, and you said, I'm never going to do this again. This is too destructive. And then what happened? You did it again, and you did it again, and you did it again. You know what that is? That's slavery. That is slavery. Because even in your conscience, you, you know it's wrong and you don't want to do it, but you continue to do it anyway. That is slavery because you're obeying a master that is outside of yourself. So don't think you're in control of your life because you're not. You're submitting to the evil master. See, and what, is, what does he portray to us? He portrays that if we follow him, we're going to get freedom, right? Doesn't he portray that to us? If we follow Satan, we're going to get freedom. We're going to get significance. I mean, look at the ads on television. Significance, freedom, purpose, all that's being portrayed by the world system. But come on, we've been there. Is that what it results as we follow the ways of the world? The answer is absolutely not. It doesn't provide freedom. Let me give you one more. Have you ever had a friend or a family member trying to coax you into coming into a sinful pattern, sinful behavior? Amen? Right, especially when you got out of the old lifestyle, right? I had a bunch of friends that were still partying, doing all kinds of things. Come on, you know, it's fun. Come do this. You know, this is great. It's a little freedom. It's not going to hurt you to come out with me and do these things, right? Anybody else? Right? And, and see, but the reality is, is we take a step back now, and I looked at them, they were empty. They were hurting. See, they were still trying to find their, their peace and love and joy and all those things from, from whatever sin they were involved in. And the reality is, it wasn't meeting that need, so they're trying to pull others into it. Maybe this will make it more significant. Maybe this will make it more satisfying. Do you know what I'm saying? So all I'm saying these two illustrations for is so that you understand that slavery to sin is a real deal. It's an incredible power over our lives. And again, for those that are sitting here, well, I don't have those. Well, you know, yours may not be heroin. It might be too much TV. It might be eating. It might be, I don't know what it is. Don't, don't discard this reality. You have to examine your life and see what strongholds uh, are in your life regarding uh, destructive behavior patterns. Which, you say, well, that's not sin if I, if I eat four pizzas at night before I go to bed. 
I think that's probably an idol, right? Mine's Lou Malnati's deep dish, but I'm overcoming it through prayer and fasting. But the reality is they can be idols. You have to be very careful as you examine your own lives regarding the power of sin. Amen. All right, so we believe, we all agree there's slavery to sin and, and the power of Satan. Now, let's, let's compare that to the good master, right? Let me just, I just made a list here for you. If you'd be patient with me, I'll read this to you. You okay? All right. Amen, brother. So it says, one master, let me just compare them. One master is the father of lies, while the true master is the father of truth. One master desires to kill us, while the other master desires to give us an abundant life and an eternal life. One master desires to, to offer us temporal happiness, temporary happiness, while the other master desires to fill us with an everlasting joy. One master deceives us through the lust of the flesh. The other master fills us with his love through the Holy Spirit. One master promises us freedom but delivers slavery to sin, while the other master offers us true freedom which comes through a righteous life. One master promises us power, position, possessions, and only delivers pain, guilt, and shame, which results in death. While the other master promises significance, purpose, and provision, and makes us his ambassadors, and promises we'll rule with him for eternity. So let me ask you again, who is your master? Who is your master? Okay, ready for the good news now? Everybody's... Let's get to the good news. It's all good news, I hope. Then. Verse 17, 18 says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. I, I always love it in the Scripture when you see but God, but God. You know, and here's but thanks be to God. You know, here... Picture this, I mean, come on, brothers and sisters, we were all in the dungeons of hell, right? We were all in the dungeons of hell, that's where we were born, you don't have a choice, that's where you were born, that's where I was born, we were all in the dungeons of hell, and we were chained with chains of slavery to sin in all kinds of ways, they look different for each one of us, but regardless, we were all covered with chains of sin, amen? But, at, at, but I mean, hopeless, right? Hopeless, there's no way we could work our way out of those dungeons. But thanks be to God, there was a day in each of our lives that he reached down from heaven and pulled us into the light. That's what it's saying here. He said, but thank, Paul can't help himself because he remembers that Damascus Road experience. He can't help himself, but right in the middle of this goes, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God that he delivered us from that slavery. But thanks be to God that we don't need to listen to that master anymore. Amen? And it says here, we became obedient from the heart. Do you get this? Sound like a country song. Let me. This is an important truth here. I'm hitting you with a lot. I break every preaching rule there is. You're supposed to get one point. I give you about 15 every Sunday, but um, you're you can handle it, right? So here's the one here. Listen to this one. I mean, there's a great difference between obedience based on fear and obligation compared to obedience based on love. Do you believe that? There's a great difference between obedience based on fear and obligation from obedience based on love. True. I mean, I'll give you the illustration of our kids. It's the best one that can come to mind. But you know, when Mary and I were, raising, we're still raising our kids, I don't know, if do we ever get past that? I'm not sure, but 
No, I got some experts, Sue and Debbie, but, the, the, you know, when growing up our kids, we had rules, you know, we raised them, instructed them in the way of the Lord, and there's discipline in our house, and they had chores to do. I mean, it just, that's the way it was. But that's obligate. They, they were obedient based on obligation and, to be honest, a little bit of fear from Mary, not me. <laughs> there's a little bit of fear in there. So, but that was disciplining our kids in the way they should go. But then there's a great transition in our kids' life, and this isn't every day. I don't think I've got some wonderful heaven at home. It's not that way. It's, we battle and fight too. But the reality is our, there's a point in our kids' life where they started doing things for us out of their love. They would, they, would, they would clean up the kitchen for Mary without being asked just because they loved her. Or, or my son, Matthew, he's down teaching Sunday school. He got up yesterday at 6 in the morning and cut the grass because their tradichis were coming over. And I just thought we'd have a bad-looking lawn, but Matt got up at 6 a.m. to cut the grass. I didn't ask him to do it. He did that out of love. Do you see that? That's obedience out of love versus obedience out of obligation. And how, do, how does it make us feel when we get obedience out of love versus obligation? It feels good. It feels really good. Versus making someone do something, you know, that's, that's a whole different world, is it not? And that's what it's talking about here. It's about obligation out of love versus obligation out of law or fear or threats. You see what I'm saying? I've got so much to share with you. So here we go. Just stay with me here. Let's get through this at least and we'll see where, how, we, how the Spirit moves here. Just let me show you some truths out of God's Word. I mean, obviously an important point. Look at this in, in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. 14, 23. This is all in John 14. Sound like a pretty important point that he's making? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. A couple more. John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. You will live in my love. I love that. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and live in his love. And one last one, uh, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, I just thinking about, I mean, is it, is it important that we get up every morning and study the Word of God? You know, is it important that we, we even memorize Scripture? Is it important that we're prayer warriors? Yeah. Those are all very important things. Uh, but the motivation has to be love. The motivation has to be love. You know, what, you know, a lot of mornings, early mornings, I don't want to get up in the morning early to, to, uh, to, go, to go be with God. But you know what gets me up? My love for God. My love for God drives me to my study in the morning. You know, our Wednesday outreaches, those are not always easy things to do, are they? But you know what? These people are hurting. They're lost. They're on the streets. They're where a lot of us were at one time. So our love for God drives, it overflows us, our love for God, and, it, and our love flows to others. 
I'm just saying that in our lives, it's the love of God that has to motivate us and, and give us the power to live the Christian life. And then your energy doesn't deplete. It stays strong. And you know what? Your emotions won't rule. You won't wane in times of hardship because your love for God is so overwhelming that you continue to, to live the life God called you to. Love has to be the motivation. You know what? We're going to stop there. We'll pick up here next week. We'll end with the love of God. Because it's just sensing it's time. I see some heavy eyes here, so we'll pick up next week on this. Let's, uh, let's pray. Yeah, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. I'll preach it. I'll finish it next week. Father in heaven, we're, we're just so grateful for these truths. We're, we're f- grateful, Father, that we live under grace. But this grace is the empowerment to live the righteous life. And Father, we, we thank you that, uh, that how we live our life reveals who our master is. And I, that's the big burden of my heart this morning for these brothers and sisters. I, I pray that they will each examine their lives to see who their master is. It's one or the other, Lord. It's Satan or the Savior. I just pray you'd reveal that to them. But thanks be to God. I thank you, Father, that you delivered us for all that believe from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would live out this life of righteousness obedient of heart out of our love for you. May that be the motivation of each of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.